You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Monsignor Schumacher. I am your host for, for Real Presence Live from the DePores House of Barbering and Lounge in Dickinson, North Dakota. And thank you for listening. We're coming up in 28 minutes past the hour, and I hope you're all having a good start to your day. We have now the part of our show called Straight Talk. And Straight Talk is an opportunity to share your comments or questions regarding our faith. And the number to call in is 877-795-0122. And we will begin with a reflection on today's readings. I also have some questions from uh, my students at Trinity Elementary East. Mrs. Angela Hankey's class has submitted some questions they cannot be here. We visited with them in Mass about it yesterday. And so we have some of their questions. But let's begin with a reflection on uh, today's reading. Eli, I think we can do that. Are we taking a hard break at the bottom of the hour or are we okay? We're going to be okay. All right. So at Mass today, uh, if you would attend, uh, we hear from the prophet Isaiah, the first reading. And we, we hear from these beautiful Old Testament prophets during Advent. And our reading today reads, On that day they shall sing this song in the land of Judah. A strong city have we. He sets up walls and ramparts to protect us. Open up the gates to let in a nation that is just one that keeps faith. Open the gates let in a nation that is just one that keeps faith. A reflection on faith in America. My father gave me this article a couple of weeks ago. It's from the Wall Street Journal. It's an article about how younger Americans are losing the faith. Now, we've heard of these articles before and, and read them before. But when I read from the prophet Isaiah this morning, open, open the gates to let in a nation that is just, one that keeps faith. Uh, I thought of this article and, and how it describes how the fastest growing population of American religious landscape today are people who identify with no religion, people who don't identify with any religion. In 2007, 16% of Americans did not identify with any religion, 16%. In 2018, this article reports that it has jumped to 35%. And those identifying as Christian are dropping. 78% of Americans in that same year, 2007, were professed Christians. Today, 2018, 2019, that dropped down to 65% of Americans professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and a follower of our Lord's life, death, and resurrection. Why? This article indicates that there are two reasons. One is that young people today feel pressure to justify being religious. In days past, 
you had to justify not being religious. But in addition to young people feeling social pressure to justify being religious, another factor is that there is the rise of families in which parents identify with different religions. Not necessarily mixed, but different religions. And thereby um, avoiding them all together. So the fastest growing population on the American religious landscape today is people who don't, don't identify with any religion. Reading to you from the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago. But here's what's interesting is that they, they report that they have no religion uh, because of the religious teachings from that religious denomination, uh, but also because of the church's positions on social issues. All right, so you're going to think, well, you know, if you get too conservative, you're going to lose the youth. But that's not true. Because Protestant denominations which tend to have more liberal views of sexuality and social mores. Protestant denominations, which tend to be more liberal, are declining faster than, for example, evangelical churches, which tend to be more conservative. So it's not really a liberal-conservative issue. It's justifying being religious, and it's the rise of families that differ in religion, and often can avoid it altogether. Open the gates to let in a nation that is just one that keeps faith. Let's pray for our nation that we may keep faith. This article indicates that the fact of the matter is that among 18 to 29 year olds in America, among 18 to 29 year olds, 44% declare that they have no religious affiliation. If we don't turn that around, if our Lord does not give us, should I say, historical events that help us turn this around, we will continue to lose our faith. We will continue to be a nation that lose, loses faith. Uh, so there's a reflection on that. We've, we've heard of that before. It doesn't seem to go away. And uh, this first reading today, can be uh, a reflection for us. We need to pray for our young people. And we need to pray for our families. And again, I think one of the singular most effective ways for parents to pass on the faith to their children is through our gift of Catholic schools and through the gift of the church and the tool that we have in our Catholic schools. So there's a reflection on the readings today. Uh, not uplifting, uh, sobering indeed, but a, a challenge and perhaps productive all the more as we reflect on it. As I said, I'm the priest at St. Wenceslas here in Dickinson, North Dakota. Trinity Elementary East is attached to, to my building, and I have a mass every day for my, for my students. We talked about this straight talk uh, part of my show, and I said when I move into it, I, 
uh, I, I just pray, dear Lord, help me do more good than harm in, in answering questions from you. Uh, you can call them in, 877-795-0122. This is a time for us to, to comment on questions relating to the faith. And so I asked my students at Mass yesterday, you know, submit some of the questions to me, and I have uh, many good questions. Uh, let's go through them, uh, because as I've always said, uh, our, our questions from our children are often uh, often the best questions of all. Uh, Jake Sheeler and Ingress ask what it's like to be a priest. This I get all the time in my life. And I first want to say that I'm still surprised that I'm a priest because I had different plans for my life. Long story. But it's still, what is it like being a priest? It's a great gift to act. What does a priest do? A priest acts in what we call, in Latin, in persona Christi. In persona Christi means in the person of Christ. And it's certainly a profound honor, and it's a profound mystery to do that. Because when men are ordained Roman Catholic priests, like Cardinal O'Brien told me at the homily he gave at my first Mass, when men are ordained priests, the gift of the priesthood the priesthood of Jesus Christ is brought down to them. They are not raised up. The gift is brought down. And so I, I recognize with great humility how the gift of the priesthood has been brought down to me. And it is a great honor to act in the person of Christ. Then kids from there uh, just, you know, spiderweb out into questions about my life as a priest. What's the favorite thing about being a priest? Well, the favorite thing about being a priest is obviously to, to administer the sacraments. And five, as priests, we do regularly. The bishops will, in addition, confirm and ordain in holy orders. But to baptize children, I do it almost every weekend. The mass, I love to preach, love to consecrate, Penance, I don't know, something about the gift of confession, which frees people, which makes them stand upright once again, like that man who couldn't walk, who picked up his mat and went home. A uh, profound sense of being a priest, hearing confessions, anointing, and uh, also the sacrament of matrimony. I've had around 400 weddings in my life as a priest, and what a gift it is to, to be at uh, to witness that as uh, as they uh, as they share and as they administer to each other that sacrament of matrimony. A few other questions from my students: Why did you become a priest? Denver asks that. Denver Grosseluk. I, I and uh, there's only one way to answer this: Why I became a priest is I think every every man should answer it this way. I became a priest because I was convinced I was called by God to be a priest. I was convinced that this is my vocation. Every young person should pray a simple prayer: Lord, lead me to where you want me. Lord, lead me to do your will. There I will be happy. Lord, lead me to fulfill my vocation, to fulfill it according to your will and not according to, to my will. So that's why I became a priest. That's why I stay a priest. I believe that's why couples get married. 
because they're convinced they're called by God to do it and I'm convinced that's why they stay married. No matter what uh, commitment we make in life, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to decide, am I going to stay or am I going to go? Every commitment will go through that. And then when you decide you're going to stay, that's when your vocation truly becomes beautiful. Why does it become beautiful? It becomes beautiful because you live a holy life. I've got a question here about the Advent wreath. Clancy Meyer asks, aside from the rose candle, and that's a good use of the word rose, it's not pink. I don't wear pink vestments. They are rose, which is the color of joy. Uh, aside from the rose candle on the third Sunday, uh, are the violet candles lit in any particular order? You know, I, practically, I, I like to rotate them just so that they burn uh, regularly. Uh, but I, uh, that's what I do. As long as you have one violet on the first, two violet on the second, of two violet and rose on the third, light them all up on the fourth. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. And a, a, another question here from Shea Schmidt. Why do you wear violet during Advent? Violet, remember, is the color in the church for penance. This is a, a penitential season uh, like Lent is. That's why the, we do not have a Gloria and we do not uh, sing it, uh, have a Gloria during Mass in Advent or, or Lent because it's a penitential uh, season. And, and so uh, violet is the color of penance. Someone once asked me, why isn't it blue? And actually 25 years ago, uh, I wore blue vestments during Advent. Uh, there was a movement in the 70s and 80s to distinguish Advent from uh, Lent. And so in Advent, we had, we, had blue, we had blue vestments put on us because, you know, we, they quoted a spiritual writer that Christ will come like the dawn of the day. And, you know, that's kind of the blue sky. In fact, they had a blue vestment with candles on it. But blue is not a liturgical color. Uh, white is, red is, green is, and so is violet. And also you can have, you know, when you wear white, metallic colors such as gold. All right, so a good question about the, the, the colors we use to remind us um, of, um, of uh, what the season is all about. Why is it penitential? Because we're preparing for the celebration of the coming of Christ. Okay. You may say, so, why is it penitential? Why? Because before we prepare for the coming of Christ in the church, we pray for the coming of Christ in our own heart. Are you going to become a deacon? Sophia Keller asks, well, I am a deacon. Uh, before I'm a priest, I'm a deacon. I was ordained a deacon in St. Peter's Basilica by Cardinal James Hickey back in 1992. And then I was ordained a priest on June 23, 1993, uh, with uh, Father Vetter. He was my classmate, now the new bishop of Helena, Montana. And that goes way back. Uh, Eric asks, how long have you been a priest? You know, it's quite a reflection. I've been a priest for 26 years now, and uh, I'm 52 years old. So half of my life has been as a priest, uh, and then I also have eight years tacked onto that for, um, for preparation. 
and, and seminary work. This is Monsignor Schumacher. This is Real Presence Live. I'm coming to you live. You're, you're hearing patrons coming now to the DePores House of Barbering and Lounge, and uh, they're cutting hair. Uh, the lounge is open, and I have a coffee uh, given to me here. We're down in downtown Dickinson uh, coming to you live, and uh, let's pray uh, that uh, you all have a, a good day. Let's go to a couple more questions coming in online. Here's one question. What are some ways families can celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas tomorrow? Well, the Feast of St. Nicholas, in my mind, and the way I emphasize it with my schools, is that it's, it's a feast of, of giving. Uh, St. Nick, uh, the proverbial Santa Claus, was a very generous person. And so I try and do it by exchanging gifts uh, we have um, usually a deacon uh, dress up as uh, St. Nicholas. Deacon Bob Zent usually does that for us. And he goes around and he gives gifts. But it is above all um, a, 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 a way to be reminded of charity. Now there's so much consumerism during this uh, month of, of December. A great antidote is always the feast day of St. Nicholas. And that is, of course, the 6th of, of December. So I want to thank that uh, listener for, for that. And um, St. Nicholas can, can teach us uh, uh, a, a lot of, of things. The feast day coming up tomorrow. Here's another question. How often should a person go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation? Why is it important for us to go to that sacrament? It's important for us to go to that sacrament because our Lord has given us that gift our Lord has given us that grace through the church. And I tell my people, you ought to go when we're in serious sin, for sure, but always prepare for our great feasts by going to confession. And they say, oh, Father, only twice a year. No, no, I'm saying make sure at least twice a year. But we go as often as needed, and we also can go for our venial sins. You know, venial sins are, it, it's like a loose thread on your coat, right? It's pretty, 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 uh, not, not a, not a wor worry until you keep pulling at it, and then it, beco it becomes something worse. That's a great description for a venial sin. But we confess all of our sins, and we also are reminded, uh, as the scripture reminds us, all sin is wrong, right? But not all sin is deadly. So our deadly mortal sins, forgiven and wiped away. So prepare for our feasts, at least before Christmas, before Advent. Make a good confession. Use confession before Masses. Use confession during the year. And confession is freedom. A lot of people think and call this a bondage. And the gift of confession is freedom. And like I said, uh, it's a great gift that we do. Right now, we're listening to the confessions of all of our students. This is a time of year where all the priests get together for confessions. This is a time of year where uh, we get a real sense of how our sin affects one another. I, I, a communal penance service where everybody comes together and you kind of start with a prayer, then you go to individual confessions with priests. Uh, this, is a, this is a real reminder that our, our sin is not just our sin, uh, my sin rather, it's our sin. My sin uh, affects the whole. And uh, communal penance services 
uh, remind us of that beautifully. Another thing communal penance services do for us is they bring in priests whom we may prefer to go to confession to. You have a right to go to confession, first of all, uh, anonymously or face-to-face. You have that right. Uh, if I do have some uh, stations for communal penance services in my parish where there is not a screen, I tell people that there is no screen there. So you have a right to go anonymously behind the screen. You also have a right to go um, to a priest whom you want. Obviously, if you're employed by the priest, it's, it's not good to, to go to that priest. You may not want to go to that priest. Communi- communal penance services bring in priests from all over. And so you have sometimes here in Dickinson, for example, when we have them, you're going to have eight, you're going to have ten, you're going to have twelve priests to choose from. And uh, it's, it's real convenient for you in that way as well. 877 This is Straight Talk. This is Real Presence Live. From the DePores House of Barbering and, and Lounge, I'm in downtown Dickinson. I just visited with proprietors here, the two barbers of the five who own this place, Paul and Matt Ellercamp. It's a fun place. The lounge is open, and they are cutting hair, and we're just uh, coming up on the 9 o'clock hour here in the Mountain Time Zone. But wherever you are, you're coming up on 49 minutes past the hour. And we're going to take some more questions here. Uh, here's some more questions. 877-795-0122. Call in. 877-795-0122. Another question from one of my students has uh, to do with, uh, let's see, which one am I going to pick here? Uh, here we go. How old was Jesus when he died? Well, this, traditionally, we say he lived a life of 33 years. Uh, so what year he was born and what year he died is a, is a whole another discussion. But St. Thomas Aquinas, remember, um, gives us the life of 33 years. And St. Thomas Aquinas also gives us that physiological age in heaven because that, it will, be our, that will be when we're in our, our prime. So we say approximately 33. You know, there's been traditions where, you know, priests have 33 buttons on their cassock for that reason. Uh, And uh, so let's go with that. Uh, Chloe asks, what do we say at the start of Mass? Now, Chloe, I think I know what you're asking. Is you're talking about the Kyrie eleison, which we sing, which we chant at Mass. Uh, all right, what is all that about? Well, it's very beautiful, and we have a beautiful chant. Everybody knows it. We do it at our parish as well. You know, Kyrie Kyrie eleison is the Greek language, not the Latin language. And it's the Greek language as kind of a neat ecumenical effort to bring in the Greek church and to be reminded of the universal church. But Kyrie eleison means Lord have mercy. I know that there was a, I think Mr. Mister, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, in high school in the 80s and I know, I think, didn't Mr. Mister have the Kyrie eleison, which was kind of a neat song. Kyrie eleison, Chloe, means Lord have mercy. And we begin the Mass because that is the part of the penitential rite where we're reminded why we're at Mass to have our Lord's mercy upon us. I once had uh, someone say to me a few years ago, you know, 
uh, Monsignor, I come to Mass, and the first thing we do is we start talking about our sins. We start talking about needing our Lord's mercy. And I said, yep, exactly. You got it right. You got it right. That, that's, that's how we begin, because it reminds us why we're there, that we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves, and we need a Savior who is Jesus Christ. And so in some of your churches, you may have uh, the Kyrie eleison. I like it. Various chants to it. Very simple. And it's, it's Greek, and it is the penitential, uh, the penitential rite. What does the word Advent mean? Devin asks this. It's a great question. Advent means uh, the coming. Adventus. Coming. And remember, I said briefly before in this show, before we pray for the celebration of the Lord's coming into the world, we prepare during Advent. That's another reason why it's a penitential season. We prepare during Advent for the coming of the Lord Jesus in my heart, in my soul, in my life. Uh, again, then when I share that communally with the solemnities of Christmas and the Christmas season, uh, it's, it's, all the more, it's all the more beautiful. That's why we belong to a church, because our Lord established the church. The church, remember, the word ecclesia means gathering. And so our Lord wanted us to gather. That's because we become weak without each other. So I want to thank Devin for, for that question as well. Uh, and before I get to the last two, if you'd like to get on, 877-795-0122, Straight Talk with Monsignor Schumacher, live to you from the DePores House of Barbering and Lounge in Dickinson, North Dakota. I'm enjoying my coffee as the patrons come in here. Uh, what is it like being at the altar with servers? <laughs> okay, I, I'm not sure what that means. I think Caitlin is a server. But here, here's what I think about servers is that I need you. And I, I, I rely on servers uh, to, to, to assist me. Uh, and it, it, it brings great order to the Mass. And I'm, I'm grateful uh, for my servers. I, I was an altar boy. Uh, starting at the age of seven and I, uh, I like to think I like to say I've had a kind of an illustrious career as an altar boy I really enjoyed my time and, uh, and I, I think it's a great way to get kids involved at Mass uh, I have some servers that serve alone I have some servers that serve together uh, but, but to attend to the altar uh, of sacrifice is, is a great privilege so what's it like being at the altar with servers? Well, well, first of all, I'm grateful for you. And I, I'm uh, hoping that uh, you will continue uh, to assist. And remember, I'm grateful for, for all who uh, assist me. Uh, uh, Let's start with the hospitality people. Let's start with the, the, the ushers. And that's, that's continued to, to my lectors. Uh, what about my Eucharistic ministers? Uh, how, how could I give out uh, 600 communions? Uh, in, 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 you know, an, an efficient amount of time that doesn't become distracting. And so I need Eucharistic ministers uh, for the uh, body and the, and the, and the precious blood. Uh, and so uh, we, have, uh, we have that as well. Uh, by the way of text message, uh, 
the 12 days of Christmas precede the nativity of the Lord in Advent uh, or do they follow uh, the Christmas season? First of all, the, the, the 12 days of Christmas is, is, a, is a great tradition and it, uh, it involves uh, preparation where uh, we have uh, new antiphons in Advent and it involves as well celebration. Uh, we have a, a lot of uh, traditions uh, that go back to the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, some of them are, are also uh, written uh, during times of, of, of persecution. Uh, when my true love gave to me this, my true love gave to me that, it's often a code word uh, for a grace during a time of hardship, uh, particularly uh, from, that, from that time of Europe. So be attentive to, to all of the traditions that we have from the manger scene, which I put up in the rectory yesterday, to the Christmas tree, to uh, the Advent wreath. And, uh, and, and also the Advent wreath, remember, prepares us for the season. We ought not think that on December 26th, which is also called Boxing Day, when we box up everything we didn't want and take it back, that it's over. December 25th is the beginning. And one of the most beautiful Masses is my vigil on the 24th. This is the beginning of the Christmas season. This is not when we box it up and put it away. And I know by then we're often exhausted. But let's remember at least spiritually. If we do box it all up and put it away, at least spiritually this is the beginning of the Christmas season. And we ought not be deprived of it. Uh, and we have the, the Holy Family uh, during, uh, we have the Epiphany, we have great feasts during the Christmas season to remind us what, what brought the Christmas season about. And one of my favorite feasts during the Christmas season is the feast day of the Holy Family. The feast day of the Holy Family reminds us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in a family, a human family, uh, Mary, Joseph, our Lord, who is truly man, truly divine. This family is the context of which God chose to redeem the world. And I believe it is the primary context in which our Lord continues to redeem the world is through the gift of the family. So that's another good question here on straight talk. And as I go through these questions, I'm reminded that there is a great interest always in the season of Advent. There's a great season in the colors. There's a great season in the preparation. And also remember that this year we have a short one. In fact, we have the shortest that it can be uh, because Thanksgiving uh, was on the 28th of November. November 1st was a Friday. So we, and, and just the way everything falls, we have really three weeks and two days of Advent. The fourth week of Advent is going to be severely shut, uh, shut down this year uh, to move into the Christmas season. So things happen quickly. So if you haven't uh, moved into the Advent season yet, there's still time. There's always time. It's never too late. And always remember that Advent is about the coming. We pray for the coming of Lord, the coming of the Lord in our hearts before we pray for and celebrate 
the coming of the Lord in the church. Well, I want to thank you for your questions. Mrs. Angela Henke's class from the fourth grade at Trinity Elementary East. I want to thank those who texted. Uh, Michael Kidrowski gave me some text questions as well. And those that Eli puts up on my Facebook page. Uh, it's great to hear from you. I certainly don't know all the answers, and I'll certainly admit when I don't know one, uh, but it's always fun to talk about what our faith, because w w what is our faith? Our faith is always seeking understanding. And th that's a great quote of St. Anselm. He, that was his definition of theology, faith seeking understanding. But our faith is always seeking understanding, and there's something in your faith that you don't understand. If there's something in your faith that you don't think makes sense, remember, we can bring understanding to it because the Catholic Church uh, certainly uh, has, has those answers. So we're going to take a break. Uh, coming up, we're going to have Mary Evinger is going to share her beautiful encounter with the Lord in adoration. This is Real Presence Live. I'll be back in just one moment. Mm -hmm. 